Ultra. Hello and welcome to Lord of the Rings Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze the movie, The Two Towers, one eaten conversation at a time that we're re-recording. I'm Norman Mitchell. <laughs> I mean, like a while ago. Yeah, this was, we had this conversation like 40 episodes ago. I'm Cassandra Fredrickson. And so today we're talking about something that when we re-recorded the episode, I don't even know if we brought it up really. Uh-uh. Uh, but we... I was real salty about it. Yeah, me too. I don't even want to look at this. Yeah, I was salty about it too. (laughs) Uh, Because we were... It was like a 40-minute conversation, and then we we just happened to look at at Audacity, and it had totally frozen, like, five, ten minutes in. Yep. So we had to redo the whole episode. And then that episode wound up only being, like, Like 17 minutes long or something. Ten minutes. We were just like, bam, 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 bam. Yeah, because we were just... (laughs) So this was, this is like 40 some odd episodes ago, we were talking about... Eowyn. We were talking about Eowyn. And then we kind of got off uh, in another direction uh, because of the commentary. Because in the commentary, there's talk about some controversy at the time with this movie that maybe it was pro-war. Well, because we we mentioned a little bit when we were talking with um, Chris about the um the the orc blowing up the the keep mm. uh and then like you know calling the movie two towers and we're in like a post 911 like a very very recently post 911 mm. uh age so and there's a suicide bomber in the movie right right so it it, it i feel like Maybe part of that controversy stems from that. Yeah. But Some of it is about the, um, like, the Ents being, like, very anti-war and then turning around and being heroes when they decide to go to war. hmm But, so, we talked for a while about whether or not this movie glorifies war. hmm And... A bunch of that conversation was in the context of the way that Theoden and Eowyn separately view the act of warfare. Well, okay, so... That's, like, where a bunch of the conversation started when we recorded it before. And and we've had more time to think about it. So, I guess... um, I guess we'll start with you. Do you think that this movie is pro-war? I don't. And especially, like, in the context of the Rohirrim... Mm. Because this, and this is why we talked about it in the first place. Uh, I think that the way Eowyn glorifies battle is negatively coded by the narrative. Okay. And I think that helps make this movie not pro war, but this movie does like relent on its point, or like relent on that a little. And Tolkien himself was kind of making the point that sometimes war is unavoidable. Because there is something that must be done when evil starts to take over the world. Yeah. Because, you know, he he lived through World War One And World War Two, And World War Two, And The Hobbit was written between them, 
And that's why the Battle of Five Armies is highlighted as such a pointless waste, like a pointless conflict. Yeah. Because it's more of a reference to World War One. Like, it's more about how that was a pointless, tangled conflict created from alliances that were somewhat foolish in the way that they were set up. Mm-hmm. Which is exactly how the Battle of Five Armies becomes a Battle of Five Armies. Right. And then the conflict in The Lord of the Rings is against an ever-growing threat on the horizon that no one has been willing to deal with for so long. Right. And that's where the the um, comparisons to Hitler and World War II come about, even yeah. though in the 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 um the preface to the second edition Tolkien's like this was not intentional i did not make this a one to one like right it's comparison. not an allegory it's adaptability it, it can it can refer to any like his allegory means it's not a one to one but it like adaptability it's uh or applicability means that like this could refer to any dictator that people tried to appease before their power right and I guess it's a, uh, it's one of those things where like life imitates art, imitates life. Where yeah. like, I mean, and then like history just repeats itself, yeah. kind of thing. Um, I don't know if this is pro war, but I do think that there is an aspect of like the glorification of war that's present in like most war movies. Yeah, but I think that the kind of war it glorifies isn't the, like, active, like, let's go out and kick some ass because we're here to kick ass war that a lot of war movies do. Mm. I think that, especially because of the nature of the major conflict in this movie uh, at Helm's Deep, this is more about the cause of a defensive, of a conflict that is necessary because it's defensive or or because it would wipe out your entire people right this isn't uh it's not a glorification of like a conquering war the way that or like like movies about the old west Mm. kind of are or like the roman empire or like the roman empire or uh i've seen a couple of movies that like glorify the like the conquering by genghis khan or attila the hun Mm. like that's a very different kind of conflict to glorify yeah this is this I think that this glorifies war, but only in the context that it is highlighting Theoden's instincts as ethical and right. To defend f- first? To defend first. Because he has to be pushed to fight when he has no other choice. Yeah. But, like, even... And I think the movie treats Theoden as ethical. I think that the movie treats him as ethical eventually but like i feel like eowyn is on one end of the spectrum and theoden is at the other end of the spectrum and it takes aragorn um who is like you should ride out and fight them like you need to like meet them head on it takes him to kind of get theoden to to that point like literally like ride out with me yeah but like the the context of the way aragorn acts is also that he knows help is coming because he has absolute faith in Gandalf. Theoden is doing everything he does under the assumption that that help might not come. So you don't think that by having your your main character, one of your main characters, urging this character to 
ride out and meet battle head on is not in itself uh like a like a nod to being like yeah you know sometimes war's okay yeah, sometimes war's okay. i i think it, that it is like a nod to like sometimes it's important to like stand up for your your people to do what you have to do to survive mm-hmm. but at the same time the way that everything shakes out you can't look at the structure of this movie and say Theoden would have won if he had just ride, ridden out to begin with he, they would have they would have been destroyed yeah yeah like and the way the movie is put together like that defense at Helm's Deep was necessary for Rohan to survive mm. like Theoden made Cause like, the right decision pr- just about every step of the way I feel like I feel like having Aragorn admonish Theoden repeatedly about it, though, um, underscores the wrong point. I think it does underscore the wrong point. Like, I think, because it literally took you saying that for me to be like, oh yeah, you know, they lived because they decided to, to, to be defensive. Yeah, because Theoden's instinct is to protect the people first. Yeah. I don't know. I think, but, cause like, I think, I think the key lies with, Aragorn. Mm. And I, I think the way that he admonishes Theoden muddles some of what's really going on narratively. Yeah. Because generally... And I do think that Eowyn's instincts are negatively coded. Right. No, I agree with that. Um, and again, because Aragorn admonishes her. Uh, yeah. But... Because A- Aragorn but only finally like, like really pushes Theoden to ride out when it's close enough for er- for Gandalf to come. Well, he doesn't. He admonishes. Uh, well, no, because he does it at the, the at the beginning too. Like, why are yeah. we going to Helm's Deep? And like Gandalf does says the same thing. Yeah, Gandalf is like, but Gandalf is like right proper pissed about it, and Aragorn is just like, well, I'm just. Gandalf well, seems upset about this because Gandalf, like Gandalf, obviously is coded as knowing, much, like much more now. Yeah. So. But at the same time, like. The narrative structure of the movie kind of proves Gandalf and Aragorn wrong. Which because, is strange, because, yeah. like, they're your main characters. Yeah. But, like, it also, you have to believe that Theoden is a noble king with his people's best interests at heart for his sacrifice in Return of the King to have weight. Right. I mean, the whole movie, he's, like, there's, like, martyr imagery of yeah. him. Which is actually great, like foreshadowing yeah. from a filmmaker perspective like that was a great way to go about that and i don't know i i think i'm just hung up on the fact that like aragorn's admonishment of both theoden and eowyn feels like a double standard because aragorn wants theoden to ride out gloriously into battle with him but he's like telling eowyn off for wanting the same thing yeah you know but what I also mean? like but also do we take Aragorn as being, like, a wise and perceptive person? I would... I mean, from the first movie into this one, yes. Okay. Because So then maybe like, he sees that, He's, like, like, the leader of the... Fel- like, he gets the hobbits through the wilderness. Like, he, yeah. he proves himself in battle. He's a kind and, like, generous person. He knows, like... he know Like, he knows things. Right. So... Is the way he admonishes them, like, tailored to, like, trying to bat off the worst parts of those instincts in those two? Like, does he see that part of what Eowyn wants is just to die in battle? Maybe. Like, does he see that Theoden is willing to defend himself to the death just so he can say he died a hero? But then, 
why would he encourage one of those and discourage the other? Because, I mean, he's trying to encourage the opposite instinct a little in each one. Like, live, and yeah. then also, like, maybe you gotta die? Like, what? That doesn't make any sense. Well, no, it's like, because Theoden, Theoden is so against striking out actively. Right, because we talked about, like, it's a, it's a knee-jerk reaction to being held hostage in his own mind for so long. Like, he needs to be in control of the situation, and the way that he knows he can do that is to, by retreating. Yeah. And, like... Because retreat is not defeat. Right. But what I'm saying is, like, the retreat... Like, because you're saying the retreat was smart. It was smart. And Aragorn and Gandalf being immediately against it. Immediately. Like, yeah. we have that conversation with them in the stables, and Gandalf's yeah. like... Burp, 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 burp. You make sure Theoden lives. Right. Like... Like, Gandalf, he leaves that in, in Aragorn's hands. Like, Gandalf views retreat as a suicide mission, almost. Right. But, like, then the way that the narrative shakes out, like, that's not true. Like, if that army had faced Rohan on an open field, Oh, Rohan God, it would have been over lost. in five minutes. Like, Theoden made the right decision to retreat. And... Like, and everything about the movie points to that being the right decision. So I guess I'm, I'm, I'm hung up on... Aragorn and Gandalf's conversation, uh... It's because the two of them are hung up on, like, this good will prevail because it is good mentality. Because, I mean, Gandalf, because he's invested by and has utter faith in a higher power. He's, yeah, he's literally an, uh, a servant of good. And Aragorn, because he has absolute faith in Gandalf. Like, and they're hung up on this, we will win because we are right. Like, because we are on the side of good so, mentality. Like, even so, though, like, their, their, their idea of warfare is an idealized good versus evil one, whereas right. Theoden is a more realistic one. Right. Where he, Theoden is very concerned with the logistics of protecting his people. So, again, I'm not quite sure why. I know this is a very idealized, like, very moralistic good will prevail and evil will falter story in the mm. at the end of the day. But, like... Having your character that is focused on, like, the realism and practicality of keeping his people alive and having him, like, being belittled. Or not belittled, but, like, being admonished by your main character who has proven, like, in the first movie that he's capable and practical and realistic. It, it, I don't, it's, it's hard to follow yeah. in this, um, whatever. But it's almost, it's almost necessary to keep the story focused on Aragorn. Right, but like, at the end of the day, is Aragorn right? Uh, no. And it only <laughs> worked, like, and hit the final push, when Aragorn is like most directly, when he says, you know, ride out with me, mm -hmm. when he actually, when he says that, it's because he knows it's the fifth day, and like, right, because Gandalf he, is here. I mean, he, he sees the sunrise. When he has that confrontation with Theoden on the parapet, uh, the day, like, before the battle. He doesn't, he doesn't protest, hall. but he doesn't protest again after that. Like, that's the last protestation from Yeah, but, like, I mean, Aragorn. before they even leave Edoras, like... Right, and it's like, when last I checked. Yeah. But, like, stuff like that also adds to, I think, the audience's kind of respect for Theoden. Because I think, like, when we were talking about it in the context of, uh, the minute, um, we had talked about how Theoden is not being a good king in that minute, but like at the end of the day, now I feel like we're we're changing our tune a little bit. 
in this context because if well, he's not listening to other people's counsel in well, that I wouldn't moment. either if I'd just been held hostage by a guy called Wormtongue. Right. <laughs> like he he also he doesn't have any faith in Gandalf. Again, wizards. Yeah. Like he doesn't have any faith in Gandalf. You know, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. But I think I think this kind of conflict between the two of them, between these two like points of view, ultimately is a is a positive is a good thing for the story. Yeah. Because it it's a good way to like consider that perhaps after this Aragorn and Gandalf both have more respect for the kinds of decisions Theoden is going to make. Mm. Because Theoden absolutely made the right call. But then he spoilers dies in the third one. By riding out into battle openly. Yeah, so like I, we'll, we'll, we'll talk but, about but it. The, but the Rohirrim showing up is what wins the Battle of Pelennor Fields. That's, yeah, that's true. I think that, like... Like, if anything, I, I think the third movie glorifies war more than more this than one. More than this one. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's interesting, though, that, like, Aragorn in the first movie, aside from his conversation with Elrond uh, in the, the garden, mm. um, I feel like... Aragorn is portrayed as this, like, stalwart hero who makes no... I mean, like, we got into the nitty-gritty, like, you know, he's kind of, like, waffling on his fate kind of thing. Mm. He's a reluctant hero. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, we are supposed to trust Aragorn implicitly. Um, And then going into this movie, it's interesting that he's proven wrong. At least by our standards that we're talking about right now. Yeah, because we're we're thinking about it from an an outside the narrative point of view. Like we're looking at this just the way the story is put together, right? Not thinking about it like as character arcs. But I think that at the end of the day, it's um, it feel at at first it feels a little backwards because you're like, why shouldn't we trust Aragorn? Like we're on Aragorn's side. The audience is on Aragorn's side throughout the the movie. I feel like. Yeah. I feel like it's designed to be that way. But I think it's interesting that Aragorn ends up being a little misguided, a little impetuous, because then he learns and grows from it and then becomes, like, a better king in the third movie. Yeah, I think so, too. I think that that's part of it, is this is a, this was a lesson for Aragorn to learn about rulership. And I also think that the way everything comes together... As the as the keep is about to be broken into, like the ride out with me, now will be the hour we draw swords together thing. Mm-hmm. That is a mutual acknowledgement between the two of them of a respect they didn't have for each other before that moment. Mm. Because they've now been fighting together. Yeah. Like Theoden had, like they had respect for each other, for sure. Otherwise, like Theoden wouldn't have tolerated the 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 protests from Aragorn in the first place. Right. Otherwise, he wouldn't have had Aragorn ride beside him every time we see them ride. Well, you don't think that's like courtesy? Like, there's like protocol. Like, but Aragorn's he also a talks lord. with him. Like, he's. Not, I know. Aragorn's uh, not like. I not mean, officially a yeah. lord, but like Theoden. But he knows. calls him my lord Aragorn. Yeah. And so does Eowyn. Like, they, they have a certain set of rules that they operate under. Right. But then he, he talks to them in such a like, personal way when he's talking about Eowyn at the beginning of the second half of this movie. Yeah. Like, at the disc swap. <laughs> well, I mean, like, they are, they're, it's not like Aragorn's a peasant. 
Right. They 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 are operating in the same like social influence, like social circles. Yeah. So you don't think that's like Yeah, it some of it is definitely like niceties. the the courtly aspect of it. Yeah. But like there's clearly a more personal respect there just in the the nature of like that that one conversation in particular. Mm. Because it's not the kind of thing that like a king just says to some other like duke from a faraway place he's not friendly with. Yeah, I guess so. Like, he doesn't tell him about his, his niece's personal life. I mean, like, I don't know. Faden doesn't strike me as having very many friends. <laughs> I mean, I guess. <laughs> he had Hama and gambling. Now he just has gambling. Yeah, but he doesn't treat Hama and gambling as equals like he does with Aragorn. No, he doesn't. Because Hama and gambling work for him. Yeah. Hama, like, I'm... he's their boss first, their friend second. Man... Doing this movie minute by minute, I just, I never realized how much I miss Hama's presence in the second half of this movie. <laughs> like, there's just, he's so, like, his mannerisms are just so wonderful. Mm-hmm. Hang on. <laughs> Pour one out for a legend. I know, like, I never really connected that, like, that kid is his son. That's so sad. Yeah, man, that's Hama's kid. Oh, man. And Aragorn's just like, oh, damn. Oh, does he... Oh, no. Like, do you know? Do you know how your dad died? Oh, God. I'm not going to tell you. Uh, he just, like, looks over his shoulder, like, Ugh, I don't want to have this conversation. I'm not ready to be a dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I I think at the end of... The, I, I think that the third movie is, like, more of a glorification of war. In part because this movie... One, it admonishes Eowyn for her desire to, like, die in, in battle. Like, for her, her want of glory. Well, I think it's, like, dying needlessly in battle. Right. Like, you know, like, Mad Max Fury Road style, like, I am awaited in Valhalla. Right. But, like. the, but the term that she uses is, like, when, uh, when, when all, it's like, when all possibility of valor has gone out of reach. Like, when, when she talks about, like, no longer having a chance for valor. Yeah, being in a, a cage. Yeah. yeah. Or when, or being an old woman that never got to fight. Yeah. Like, so one, I think the movie admonishes Eowyn for, like, this obsession with glory and valor. And two, I think that our introduction to Faramir in the extended edition underscores some of the point they were trying to make with this movie. Right. That didn't make it into the theatrical. Yeah, and that was my other point, like, like, I mean... Faramir straight up is just, like, war is bad. But again, Faramir is not painted in a positive light for most of the movie, and he's not one of the main characters. No. He's not. But, like, he's so having... not admonished for that behavior. No, he's not. Like, that that little soliloquy when we meet him in the extended edition is not something that's ever critiqued as a part of his character arc. Yeah. I feel that you have one half of the story that borders on the glorification of war, and then you have Frodo and Sam who, like, go through the dead marshes and see, like, the aftermath of this horrible battle that happened thousands of years ago. Right. You have Faramir talking about how war will make corpses of us all. You have the armies of the East, and you have um, just, you know, the the lengths to which people will go to win mm. in Faramir. Because, you know, he's, like, not listening. I'm going to take the ring. Right. Because, But when you connect some of that with that the soliloquy when we meet him. Yeah. It, his motivation to get the ring is seemingly the same as what Boromir says at the Council of Elrond. We want to end this war quickly because it's already cost us so much life. Mm. Which, 
to connect to something in the real world was part of the justification for the use of the nuclear bomb. Right. Which was Which was terrible. terrible. So like there's there's even more of like the the connotation of that mindset being negative. Yeah. So there's all of that tied up in some of this too. Yeah. Cuz like on the one hand you have Aragorn urging Theoden to to ride out and meet the the host head on, but at the other end like the other half of the the other book as it were um is is Frodo and Sam like dealing with all of these horrible things that happen as because of war. Yeah. So Which... at the end of the day I don't really know if it like, you know, if the net is zero or if it's a little positive or a little negative. I think it depends on which way you squint at it. I think if you're focusing explicitly on the Battle of Helm's Deep, I think and and the and the ends. Yeah. Um I think also um the fact that Boromir dies and then given the context of like his battles his speech after the battle here in this flashback is like glorification and then that's a character that we know dies in battle is that also a way of saying that like this glorification is negative but Boromir dies saving other people right. so is that negative like his sacrifice was heroic but like is the fact that he like glorified combat in this way part of what leads to his downfall i mean i don't know if they're glorifying combat or if they're celebrating still being alive i mean you have a knight in shining armor waving the standard yeah, yeah, up there that's true. He's literally <laughs> like waving like... the standard of their their nation right but i mean like you know you take back this city that's been lost for hundreds of years yeah. you're not going to be happy and i mean boromir is focused on what comes after the war is done right like boromir is focused on what to do when we don't have to fight anymore so Would, there is an optimism in Boromir who is not focused on war. Because if it was, if Boromir was just about the glorification of war, he would just be looking for an excuse to go kick some orc ass, you know? Right. But who knows what he was doing for four and a half months when he like was trying to get to Like stirring up trouble, like, oh, well, now we got to, you know, strike while the iron is hot kind of thing. But, like, in his speech, he talks about, like, you know, take the time to, like, drink and like celebrate our victory here right we're gonna bring this we're gonna restore this we're city to a place live. of beauty and light yeah and music we're gonna live here and we're not gonna like just focus on what's next mm. to punch yeah yeah you're right you got me so i don't know my dude Boromir. But yeah I, I think <laughs> i think when you take into account like everything that frodo and sam see the way that eowyn is treated by the narrative and what Faramir says when we first meet him. And then the fact that, look, Theoden's defensive instinct is what saves Rohan. There's a lot that underscores that this, the instinct to fight first is negative. At least in a, like a case by case basis. Like it just in general, the, the movie, like it shows that like the instinct to fight first is is painted negatively. But what about uh, the Ents, though? Well, even then, like, because... they didn't fight first. No, I know. And then I think that, like, their reluctance to the scene with all the trees that have been burned down. It caused them more damage than was needed. But it also, like, their reluctance to fight, their reluctance to fight is painted somewhat negatively. That's true. But at the same time, like, their reluctance to fight comes from the same place as Theoden's. But I guess the difference 
is that the Ents are so much stronger than the race of man. And, like, that's just demonstrably true. Yeah. But they don't recognize themselves as strong. Mm. And that's part of their trouble. Well, that's like, Gandalf literally says the Ents will find that they are strong. Yeah, exactly. And that's part of, like, their problem in their narrative. Is that the Ents don't realize how strong they are. Mm-hmm. That they don't they don't think about what they can do because they were built to solely be protectors. Yeah, that's true. I mean, like they are they are built to be a protector. Yeah, but like, is that part of protection? Is purely defense, or is that like you know? Well, yeah, stepping on an orc every so often. Well, yeah, I mean, Yavanna, like Yavanna's plan for them seems pretty explicitly like. If lumberjacks take too much wood, kill them. <laughs> kill the forestry industry. <laughs> because, like, she seems like her her plan is just like, well, what about when your children start eating too much of the natural world, when they start beating it up? Like, the natural world needs to be able to fight back. And it's just like, and Iluvatar's like, yeah, sure, how about these, these giant trees? They're like... And these giant eagles. Ain't nothing gonna screw with these guys. And like, <laughs> look at these eagles, man. Just... Yeah, there you go. They're pretty sick, aren't they? Look at their wings. Look at those talons. Oh. Tear a man in half. <laughs> they got this. They're good. <laughs> Nothing's going to mess with these guys. Like, so, yeah, I mean, the the whole point of the existence of the Ents and the Eagles is so that nature has some teeth to yeah. fight back against industry. And then the Ents are so withdrawn and separated from everything else that it seems as though they've forgotten their purpose. That makes sense. And they are they are woken to their purpose by Mary and Pippin. Yeah. Like this is this is going too far. You exist to stop this from going too far. Not that they know that. Not that they know that. But Gandalf knows that. Yeah. And he's like, hey, these little troublemakers because, will stir up some kind of trouble. <laughs> right? Gandalf knows that because he was there when Yavanna sang her song. Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh yeah. There's these there's these giant trees that can you know, tear a building in half. Well, I mean, Gandalf also hangs out with the eagles all the time. Yeah. Can you imagine, like, the eagle smoking pipe weed with Gandalf? Well, no. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just imagining, like, an eagle, like, standing on one talon, like, holding a pipe in the other. <laughs> in my head, he's got, like, a monocle for some reason. Yeah, just gua here with a monocle on. Yeah. I mean, like, the reason Gandalf hangs out with the eagles so much is because he owes gua, like, or gua here owes him a life debt. Yeah. So. It's, he's his Chewbacca. <laughs> Guahir is my co-pilot. <laughs> uh, that should be a bumper sticker if it's not already. <laughs> my other ride is an eagle. Hey But I think I don't know if we've like arrived at anything, but, but it was I, a good discussion. I don't think the movie is really pro-war. I think the movie recognizes I, I think the messaging the movie recognizes that there is a point where you can no longer simply try to defend yourself because if your antagonist has every every intention of destroying you and everything you care about you can't just spend your your whole life just trying to defend against it right. you have to do something about it yeah like fascism which is like clearly what Sauron is doing right rules with a uh, literal iron fist <laughs> it has like hordes of slaves it has hordes of slaves Yep. You know, breeds monsters in the basement. Whatever. You know, whatever you gotta do. It's a Thursday. Yeah. It's just a typical Thursday. Thursday in Mordor. Yeah. (laughs) Just 
making sure the fell beasties are doing okay. I just think the the message gets a little muddled. Aragorn makes the waters a little muddy. Well, I mean, you have to have the end of the battle, like, be an optimistic set piece. Right, right, right. And I mean, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the battle itself... But did we need Legolas surfing down a shield on a stair? No, but I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. But, like, it, your battle has to be... Has to have points that are entertaining. Right. Like, we're not... It's not saving Private Ryan. Oh, God. It's not just watching people get slaughtered. Yeah. It's not like Dunkirk. Yeah, no, it's, (laughs) you know, this is a popcorn movie. Right. And while there are aspects of it that are clearly inspired by war movies, and while it's it's modeled after them, at the end of the day, this is still intended to be, like, a crowd-pleasing blockbuster, Mm -hmm. because it has to be. But I I do think in, in a lot of ways, like, this is a successful war movie. Because, I mean, we talked about it. A couple of our guests have said that the the lead up into the Battle of Helm's Deep is their favorite part of the trilogy, mm. and it's mine as well. Like the the way that the tension builds until the Battle of Helm's Deep starts is great. Like it's just a really good piece of cinema. Mm-hmm. the The whole like thirty or forty minutes in the movie leading up to it, right? And I like that in itself uh, does no favors for war or battle. Yeah, I mean. Like, all the scenes of the, the women and children in the caves and, like... Right, and that's showing, like, the cost of war. Right. And when you're glorifying war in a in a film, you generally don't do that. Mm-hmm. It's all Boromir standing on the parapet right. with the flag. It's all your, your shining knights and your, your guys raising flags. Like right. that, you know, it's all that sort of stuff. So I think it does a, a pretty good job of balancing. I just, like, get hung up on, like... Aragorn's double standard a little. Yeah. And I mean, the faceless enemy thing is also something that's used to, like, glorify war. Yeah. But I mean, like, he literally doesn't have a face. He's got an eye. Yeah. (laughs) But, like, in the first movie, they gave us, like, an orc with clear individual personality, even if he doesn't talk much, instead of just, like, a faceless horde, like, for the end of the battle. Oh, right. Like, they gave us lurts. Yeah. But we don't have, like, a clear leader of this group of orcs. Right. I mean, that's Saruman. Yeah. And, like, Saruman is not humanized. He's also not really humanized at all. Mm -hmm. Like, Saruman is, ooh, I'm evil. Right. Spooky. I mean, you have the, the, his underling, uh, regretting. Yeah, clear regret on Wormtongue's face. With Saruman to do this. Mm. He's like, oh, I'm not long for this world, am I? Yeah. It's like, oh, no, I did this. Oh, God. (laughs) This is my beat, guys. This is bad. Oh, shoot. <laughs> I did it bad. Can I just say sorry? No. <laughs> it's it's too late now to say sorry, Wormtongue. It's too late. To apologize? Yes. <laughs> if you want to join in this discussion, uh, or any other, if you have any other thoughts about this, uh, go ahead and post them in the Facebook listener group, The Fellowship of the Mic. Uh, and you'll have plenty of time to discuss things during the hiatus, and we'll have more time to interact there, too. Not that we aren't. Both fairly active in the in the listener group. Yeah. Also, check us out on Apple Podcasts. Maybe leave us a five-star review. Please. Really helps us out. Or on whatever podcatcher you use. Especially if you discover us during the hiatus, it helps us stay relevant. Um, and if you discover us during the hiatus and you get here before we get to Return of the King. Like, you are a, you are a champ. You're the real MVP. <laughs> if you get here before we come back from the hiatus, man. 
Either we took way longer than anticipated, or you just blitzed You are this. a machine. I salute you. <laughs> Listening to us on like three times speed. Oh my god, can you imagine? I would sound like a chipmunk. <laughs> I would sound like not even existent. If you sound like a chipmunk, yeah. I'd be like uh. a chipette. <laughs> so anyway, uh, hope everyone has a great Thursday. We'll be back tomorrow to finish out this wrap-up week. Mm-hmm. The last episode of Two Towers. Woo! That's, oh God, pressure. No pressure. Ugh. 215 of them. 220. 220 of them. 215 of the movie proper. <laughs> then five I was like, oh God, no. Have I been labeling these wrong? <laughs> Bye. Bye.